Thank you, Sheila. It's the fourth Sunday after Epiphany. Beautiful bit of French organ music to start off the morning. Absolutely wonderful. Thank you for that. It is the fourth Sunday after Epiphany, this revelation period in the church year. So glad that you're here this morning. Um, we have some illness in our ranks. Ron is not feeling well today, so he's at, at home resting. And um, we have some wonderful music from the bells today and some casting out of demons and things like that. So this opening song by Fernando Ortega called Jesus, King of Angels, talks about those that casting out among other things. So welcome to Trinity this morning. Glad you are here. Welcome to worship. Jesus, King of angels, heaven's light, shine your face upon this house tonight. Let no evil come into my dreams. Light of heaven, keep me in your peace remind me how you made dark spirits flee and spoke your power to the raging sea and spoke your mercy to a sinful man Remind me, Jesus, for this is what I am. The universe is vast beyond the stars, but you are mindful when a sparrow falls. Mindful of the anxious thoughts that find me Surround me and bind me. With all my heart, I love you, Sovereign Lord. Tomorrow, let me love you even more. Rise to speak the goodness of your name Until I close my eyes in sleep again The universe is vast beyond the stars But you are mindful when a sparrow falls and mindful of the anxious thoughts that find me, surround me, and bind me. Jesus, King of angels, heaven's light, hold my hand, 
and keep me through the night. For a second. That is a uh, beautiful piece, Fernando Ortega. Thank you, uh, Carl. You also see the bell choir. They're all dressed in black and in their uh, spots over there. Uh, Thank you, the bell choir, for being here this morning. And thank you uh, to all of you for being here this morning. Uh, Ken was here early, and he said, where is everybody? I said, just give them a chance. They'll come rolling in. It was 15 minutes ahead of time. Uh, Lots of people online, too. We welcome all of our friends online uh, across the island, across the country. The order of service is printed before you in uh, the bulletin today, <clears throat> everything will be projected for you uh, as well. So if it's comfortable, I would invite you to stand. Gathered in God's house, we worship in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In our gathering hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy. first shared prayer this morning is called the Kyrie, Kyrie eleison, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy on us.
hymn of praise which functions like a prayer as well as we come into this place to meet God open the eyes of my heart Lord Gracious Lord God, open our hearts to your love. Open our minds to the leading of your Holy Spirit. Open our eyes that we may see all children as your children. Open our hands that we might generously share the blessings that we have received. Open minds, open hearts, open eyes, open hands. We pray that when it's all been said and done, that every aspect of our lives will be open that we may live and die singing your praises. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Please be seated. The first lesson is from 1 John. There is no fear in love, 
but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or a sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The word of the Lord.
conversation we had, uh, you are the best. So give yourself a round of applause. Give yourself a round of applause. Okay, thank you. Now a sermon on humility. <laughs> no, not really. Um, but I mean that, really, from my heart. Uh, this is an amazing place, amazing people, and, and you all make it happen. Everything you do, from the time people come in that door to the time they uh, go to the coffee hour and head back to their cars, and uh, every day in between, I just thank you for that. Uh, Epiphany 4, fourth Sunday now, this Epiphany, uh, last uh, Sunday in January as we'll be moving on. And then in Epiphany, we continue now to discover how Jesus was revealed to the masses and to us as being more than the Christmas child from Bethlehem, more than the carpenter's kid from Nazareth. And so our reading now from the Gospel of Mark, our assigned text from the first chapter. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. The Gospel of the Lord. Epiphany is about revelation. Now, Jesus was certainly set apart by miracles. Those who raise the dead and cure the sick tend to get a lot of attention. He was a miracle worker, though he was much more interested in being known as a rabbi, a teacher, than a miracle worker. Now, in ancient Rome, there was a theory subscribed to by those in power. It was really a formula to keep them in power. It maintained that common people were pretty simple. And it did not take a lot to keep them happy or at least somewhat content, towing the line, obedient. You see, if they had just enough, they were less likely to risk everything in an attempt to overthrow Caesar. The formula was known as bread and circuses, and the thinking was like this. If you give common people enough bread to eat and circuses, then they will in fact stay in line. Circuses could take a variety of forms, like coming to the Colosseum to watch gladiators fight to the death. Now how absurd to think that if people just have food on the table, Netflix, and the National Football League, that they'll remain reasonably content even if the government is totally crazy. Enough bread, Wordle, and reality TV, and most will be unwilling to challenge in any meaningful way the power brokers of industry or the self-serving politicians who worry more about re-election than the people they're supposed to represent. Jesus was revealed to the people of Capernaum by his teaching. They were astounded by his teaching, for he taught as one having authority, not like the scribes. The religious people were more like the politicians. They were more worried about their stature than they were about the lives of the common people. Jesus came in, he taught with authority, and they recognized it. So what is authority? Is it power? No, it's different than power. The religious leaders had power. The Romans had power. King Herod had power, but they did not have authority. The people recognized something in Jesus, 
something that one would not expect from a relatively unknown carpenter from a village like Nazareth. He taught as one with authority. He had no power. And whatever power he would ultimately have, he would refuse to use or abuse, much to the disappointment of his own disciples. They recognized something in Jesus. They recognized that he had authority. Now, power is different. Dictators and despots, presidents and popes have power. They have real power. They can put you in prison, and they do. They can start wars, and they do. They can take your money by taxing you, and they do. They have power, no question about it. But authority is different. Authority is at a higher level. Many have power, but they would not be recognized as an authority. You see, power can be seized. Authority is given. I don't know if you go to movies very often, the Clyde or anywhere else, but I'm wondering, has anyone seen the new Napoleon movie? Anybody here? Not yet one. Cheryl? Good. Was it good? It was good. Well, I love history. I plan on seeing that. I want very much to see it. I know it's going to be, you know, history, but also Hollywood. I get that, but it's still, I'm okay with that. Because if you give me bread and circuses, a pizza and a movie, I'm, you know, I'll mostly stay in line. I'm a simple person. But I've been fascinated with Napoleon for some time. And here's one of my favorite quotes, not from the movie, but from the real Napoleon. And the quote is about Jesus. It's also about power and authority. Listen carefully now. These words to Napoleon Bonaparte. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded empires. But on what did we rest the, the creations of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of men would die for him. Three of the most powerful men in history. Napoleon understood that there are those who seize power. There are those with almost unlimited power and wealth. And yet authority is something altogether different. Jesus had no wealth and he had no worldly power. And he did not force anyone to follow him. Jesus was revealed to the people of Capernaum, not by his power, but by the truth of his teachings, the authenticity with which he lived his life, and consequently, he was granted something that King Herod did not have and could not have. Jesus had authority. He taught with one, with authority. Shortly after graduating from high school, 1977, I attended a Fellowship of Christian Athletes Conference in Fort Collins, Colorado. One of the speakers was a man by the name of Bruce Bickle. He had been a student at the Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland. On the football team, he was a backup quarterback to Heisman Trophy winner and NFL Hall of Famer Roger Staubach. When Bickle spoke to us at that conference, he told about an exam that he took at the Naval Academy. A question on the exam asked him to define what it would mean to be in a leadership role as a Navy officer. And his response was that if he were to be regarded as a leader of men, he must first be a servant of the men in his command. He said the officer marked through his answer with a red pen. 
noting his disapproval. But you see, Bickle understood very well. He understood his responsibility to these men, but he also knew that he would not have authority if he did not authentically care for the well-being of those that he served. Jesus put it this way in the Gospel of Mark, the 10th chapter. Jesus said, you know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them, but it is not so among you. Instead, whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. Pastor Eugene Peterson, in his rendering of the New Testament, called the message, translated that very text in this way. You've observed how godless rulers throw their weight around, and when people get a little power, how quickly it goes to their heads. It's not going to be that way with you. Whoever wants to be great must become a servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. That is what the Son of Man has done. He came to serve, not to be served, and then to give away his life in exchange for the many who were held hostage. 2,000 years ago, and to some extent it's true even today, rich people have servants. From King Herod to Downton Abbey, from U.S. presidents to the titans of industry, powerful people have always had servants. But Jesus came in and set up a whole new model. Unfortunately, the church at times has been seduced back into the ways of the world. But if we follow Jesus, we must understand that there's only one social class. There is only one class of people, humans, all, children of God, all. Christians and Muslims, Jews, refugees, immigrants, the elderly and our preschoolers are all the same in God's eyes. Popes and priests, nuns and pastors, church council members, they do not have a higher standing. They're just called to different forms of service. We are humans. We are children of God. Everyone welcome, everyone equal. All humans are 60% water, born of human wombs. And get this, when it comes to DNA, we are 99.6% identical with every other human on the planet. It leaves us little room to brag. We have no room for self-righteous thought. If you think that God loves Lutherans the most, then think again. If you think that God loves the United States of America more than any other nation, then think again. If you think that God loves Christian babies more than Muslim babies, you're sadly mistaken. Epiphany. Jesus was revealed to the people of Capernaum through his teaching. He taught as one with authority. He lived with authenticity. The Son of God came to serve, to model a servant lifestyle. Authority, not power. Authority. Not the power of Napoleon, but the authority of one who lives and loves authentically. Now, I don't know what interests you, uh, interests you in life. If it's physics, I probably couldn't have a conversation with you, but that's a different issue. But if it's physics, I have a quote from you, Albert Einstein. He said, to punish me for my contempt for authority, fate made me an authority myself. So let's say that you were interested in physics. And next week we were going to have Albert Einstein come here to Trinity Lutheran Church for one night to give a lecture and answer your questions. Would you be there? I'll bet you would. 
Okay, maybe physics isn't your thing. If Warren Buffett were going to come to Trinity Lutheran Church for one night and give a lecture on investing and answer your questions, would you be there? I'll bet you would. If Tiger Woods was coming to Trinity Lutheran Church <laughs> to offer advice on your golf game, like take two weeks off, then quit. Um, <laughs> if he was going to give lessons, would you be there? I'll bet you would. Maybe you're a painter. If Claude Monet was coming to Trinity Lutheran Church to show you how to paint water lilies, would you be there? I bet you would. If Ken Burns were coming to Trinity Lutheran Church to talk about making documentaries, would you be there? You see, they are authorities in their field. Their authority is not based in power, but in their intellect, in their wisdom, in their experience, in their integrity, and in their achievement. They are authentic. authentic. Authenticity is important. They are who they say they are. I don't know if you see where I'm going with this, but Jesus taught with authority. Jesus taught us how to live, how to love, how to serve. And so here's my point. It would be foolish of us to turn a deaf ear to the one who had only one goal, and that was to teach you and to teach me how we might live our lives in a healthier, more abundant way. He taught with authority saying, love the Lord your God and love your neighbors yourself. Love God and love your neighbor. Of course, that led to the question, who is my neighbor? And the one with authority answered that for us. They are all your neighbor. Quick, Jesus, who's my neighbor? Samaritans? Yes. Jews? Yes. Muslims? Yes. Immigrants? Yes. Democrats? Yes. Trump supporters? Yes. 49er fans? Y yes. <laughs> You see, God never expects you to understand your neighbor. No expectation that you're going to understand your neighbor. And God never asks you to approve of their lifestyle choices. You don't even have to like your neighbor. But the one with authority said that your life is going to be better if you learn how to love them. Do you know that make sense? Jesus taught with authority. But his teachings didn't stop there. No, he continued telling us that we must learn to love not just our neighbor. Somehow we got to learn to love ourselves. Interesting concept, is it not? Now let me ask you honestly, do you think that the church has faithfully taught us to do that? Have we been faithful to the teachings of Jesus in this regard? What has the church taught us about ourselves, about our bodies, about our sexuality are we sinful and unclean or are we just humans are we human just as God created us flawed yes but beautiful and precious as well what did the church teach you about sexuality I grew up in the Lutheran Church, Trinity Lutheran Church, Norwegian Lutheran Church in DeKalb, Illinois and that was a place where polite people never even used the word sexuality and what was I taught about sexuality? I'll never forget the lesson that I learned in church. I got the message loud and clear as a teenager regarding my body and sexuality. And here's the message. Sex is dirty. Save it for someone you love. <laughs> you need to love your neighbor, but you also need to learn to love yourself. The one who taught with authority knew that if we don't make peace with ourselves, if we don't not see ourselves as precious children of Almighty God, then we will never be healthy enough to love others as God would desire us to love them. 
If we cannot learn to accept our own failings and frailties without shame or despair, then we'll be miserable creatures. And if we cannot accept God's forgiveness, then offering that forgiveness to others is going to be pretty difficult. Jesus taught with authority, telling us that we must learn to love ourselves. Has the church done that? Or did the church somewhere along the line stray from Jesus, choosing shame over love and guilt over grace and exclusion over inclusivity? What has been the message of the church for those who experience the painful path of divorce? How has the church treated those with mental illness? How did the church treat families that have been devastated by suicide? How have our sisters, brothers, children, and grandchildren who identify as LGBTQ been treated by a church that is supposed to be teaching them how to love themselves? Can I love myself? when the institution that is supposed to love me seeks instead to shame me? Jesus taught with authority. Can you learn to love the one who looks back at you in the mirror? Can the church help you to be at peace with your own humanity? Can you learn to love and forgive that child of God, precious, fragile, and lovable, that greets you every morning? Jesus taught with authority. You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their leaders lord it over them, but it is not to be so among you. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded empires. But on what did we rest the creations of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love, and at this hour millions of men would die for him. Napoleon. You see, love is our only choice. Hear me now. Love is the only choice that we might become what God desires us to be. Love that casts out fear. Love that does not find it necessary to judge others. Love that allows us to cut ourselves a break for being human. Love that washes feet and wipes away tears. To love as Jesus loved. That is our calling and that is our only chance our only chance at abundant life. So my prayer is that this church, that our community together might preach, live, breathe, and model love, that everyone who comes in those doors might experience God's love here. No resumes, no punch cards, no passports, no membership cards, no background checks, just humans loving humans, living our lives in response to the love God has for us. I want to end with a line from the beautiful song that we're about to hear. When it's all been said and done, there's just one thing that matters. Did I do my best to live for truth? Did I live my life for you? When it's all been said and done 
There is just one thing that matters. Did I do my best to live for truth? Did I live my life for you? When it's all been said and All my treasure will mean nothing Only what I've done for love's reward Will stand the test of time sinners into saints I will always sing your praise here on earth and ever after for you've shown me heavens my true home when it's all been said and dawn, you're my life when life is gone. When it's all been said and done. There is just one thing that matters. Did I do my best to live for truth? Did I live my life for you? Lord, I live my life for you I would invite you to stand as we lift our hearts uh, to God in prayer uh, Judy's going to lead us in the prayers and each uh, petition will end we we call to you and we have a sung response change my heart O God We'll sing that once now and after each petition.
as we recognize Christ, the Holy One of God, teaching in our midst, we pray. As Christ taught with authority, let us lift up and encourage leaders in our church and our nation who embody integrity and hope, who inspire us to call on our better angels, and who lead us with love for all, casting out fear and division. We have been loved by you. Let us follow that path to abundant life. We call to you. We know, as Martin Luther King Jr. has said, that our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. We are known not by where, <clears throat> by where we stand in moments of comfort, but where we stand at times of challenge and controversy. All the people of the world must discover a way to live together in peace. Guide us to reject revenge, aggression, and retaliation. Let us proclaim it. The foundation of your way is love. May we take first step in faith. We need not see the whole staircase. Just take the first step. And the first step is love. We call to you. God, we lift before you so many things, the joy of new birth and rebirth, the beauty of this day and the natural world that surrounds us, the wonder of healed relationships in our circle of family and friends. We also live before you, our sorrows and fears, the pain of physical and mental distress and illness, 
the pain of racism and bigotry, the sadness of unrealized hopes and dreams, and the passing of dear friends. We lift up, especially this week, the family and friends of Carol Richardson, who died this week, loved across the liminal space by her sons. May they all find comfort and peace. We call to you. Change my heart, oh God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God. May I be like you. All our joys and hopes, our sorrows and fears. We entrust to your loving hands, O oh God of grace and beauty. You have promised us that you will never let us go. We are confident to say, let it be so. Amen. Amen. You? Players share a sign of greeting with one another. After the service, uh, we'd encourage you to come on over to the coffee hour, coffee, cookies, fellowship, spend a little time together, getting to know one another better. Also, uh, please read your uh, flyers every week. Uh, the bulletins have lots of information about your church and what's going on and how you might plug in and events that are coming up. So read those every week because we don't read every one of those to you. Uh, altar flowers today are in celebration of uh, Verna and Earl. Uh, it's their uh, 65th wedding anniversary. Uh, so there they are. This is uh, January, 20, uh, January 31st, 1959 at Trinity Methodist uh, Church in Tacoma, Washington. And uh, Earl was playing the bell choir this morning. Verna does flowers for us all the time. But... Uh, 65 years. That's incredible. You've seen the seasons together. Uh, better, worse, richer, poorer, sickness, and in health. And uh, thank you for standing among us as role models for us. And uh, I don't know how many of those 65 years it took to turn you from a Methodist to a Lutheran, but we give thanks. <laughs> but we give thanks for that. So happy anniversary to Verna and Earl. Thank you. Happy anniversary. Under, uh, under celebrations, we're also uh, celebrating with uh, Orion this morning. Orion has been doing, stand up, Orion. He's been doing years and years of study at Luther Seminary. He's jumped hoop after hoop after hoop that the ELCA has put before him. And finally, after a grueling interview process this week, he was endorsed for candidacy, is set up to go off on an internship in the fall. And uh, we're very proud of you, Orion. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, you, see, you heard in the prayers uh, and see in the, in the bulletin, uh, grieving deaths this week. Grady Vaughn, longtime member of our church, moved to California a few years ago. 
Uh, his wife Mary was a, a parish nurse for us, and Grady served on our council in, in so many different ways, but uh, he was tired, and he was weak, and he was worn as I talked uh, to Mary, and death was not the enemy at this point. And so uh, she sounded good, and they will have a celebration of his life uh, at a different time. And then um, also Carol Richardson, uh, whose son Paul is sitting in her assigned seat. Son Paul back there in uh, Carol's assigned seat next to Amy. Uh, sorry, uh, Paul, a grief for you and your brother Tom, but also grief, I know Amy, for uh, Carol who sat next to you. But kind of a similar story. She lived a long, full life, 93 years, and uh, a dear member of our congregation. That uh, The funeral is pending, and we'll let you know uh, when that comes up. I'm going to call on Deacon Amy. Morning. So uh, be sure to check the flyer on the table in the narthex for Sunday Forum. This morning we have uh, the Reverend Charles LaFond, who is the Senior Director of Island Senior Resources, here to talk about the difficulties and joys of aging. I don't know that any of you have experienced any difficulties or joys that come with aging, but it should be a great conversation down the hall this morning, 9.30 in the fireside room. And then next Sunday, uh, Reverend Terry Kylo from Paths to Understanding will be here talking about uh, bridging bias and building unity through multi-faith peacemaking. So uh, talking about Muslim and Jewish and Christian traditions and how we can all work together in this time. Um, this morning is the deadline for Holden Village for our high school students who will be traveling in May. So if you have a high schooler who is interested in going with us, we have 15 high schoolers signed up at this time. So uh, if you have anybody else interested in going, come and see me today so we can be sure to get that turned in. And then coming up, February 11th is Super Bowl. So we will be having our annual Super Bowl of carrying food drive. So uh, be sure to bring in your canned goods and donations for our local food drive or food banks on that day. That's February 11th. We'll be collecting food before and after all of the worship services that morning. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Deacon Amy, and um, try not to disrespect your elders. Um, and we are all your elders, I might add. But uh, You know, uh, we, it's easy to kind of wring our hands sometimes, look at the problems of the world, and say, we, what do we do? How do we, how do we, what can we do? What can we do about what's going on in Israel and Palestine? What can we do? What can we do about our southern border? And I sent out an email yesterday, and we have flyers out on the table. Lutheran Immigration and Relief Services has been working uh, um, in immigration for decades. And um, they have a program that I would encourage us to take part in in any way, anybody who's motivated by this. Uh, this is a program to help those who are returned from the border back to Guatemala or by helping young people to build a life in Guatemala so they don't have to flee to our border. And it's really, it's a program that's going to be run by locals. Uh, the money will be coming from the United States, but they have one overseer who's, who's um, from Mexico, and everyone else will be from Guatemala. And they're helping these young people to build a life in the communities where they are with $10,000 grants to get them into housing or help them to start a business so they don't have to flee and, and make that dangerous journey to our border. And then we don't have to see those same pictures on 
on the news every night. So this is a way that we can take part. So I'd encourage you, these are on in the tables in the gym, they're in the table in the narthex, you can take them with you. If you'd like to help in this effort, you just make out the, a check to Trinity Luther Church or do it online and just put L-I-R-S in the memo and we'll send in a check for uh, checks from our congregation uh, together to take part in this program. I had a one-on-one -on -one meeting with John Book from Lutheran Immigration Relief Services uh, a week ago, and he explained the entire program. I think it's really, in, it's an opportunity for us to make a difference. We can't cure everything, but we can make a difference. We transition to the end of the service. I'd invite you to stand as we uh, pray and sing together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil for the kingdom of power and the glory are yours this place of worship. We are the hands and feet of Christ. Go out those doors, find your place of ministry and service this week. And as you go, may God bless you and keep you. May God's face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May God look upon you with favor and give you peace in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Our sending him the right hand of God.